Uh, first of all, I want to give thanks to your congregation for the continued support uh, of our work in Colombia. In 2016, I was introduced to uh, Calvin Slaybaugh. Maybe some of you know him. He's from Mishawaka, Indiana. He's been going to Columbia for 25 years. He was looking for some new people to go with him. Uh, I don't know why he picked old people, but I appreciate him for that. Anyway, we've gone to, in January of 2017, 2018, and 2019 to Columbia with him and done some work. We went, traveled with him for two years, and then this year we decided to go on our own. I traveled with Brother Carl McMurray, who is the preacher from where uh, we worship in Anderson there. And uh, I want to also thank the elders for the time to come down and give this presentation to you. I think it's good and it's proper and it's scriptural for you to know where your dollars are being spent and to see the kind of work that's being done and you should be listening to and checking those kind of things as you have opportunity. As I understand it, I only have two and a half hours, so I better get right into it. What time am I supposed to quit? 9.40, okay. All right, let's get to it then. I have a lot of things to show you. Columbia is a lot different in some ways than the United States, and in a lot of ways it's the same. Uh, travel is greatly different. You can be in a big city and you can feel like it's pretty similar to what it is here, but we don't spend a lot of time in the big cities, and so uh, you'll see things like this from time to time. We actually crossed that river. That was our truck we were traveling in that year, and we crossed on those three canoes. Uh, that's a ferry that took us across the river. Um, we do baptisms in rivers quite regularly, and they are rivers that your doctors would recommend that you not get in. Uh, they are terribly polluted. We uh, also enjoy all kinds of hospitality from members of the church down there, though. Uh, this was a family lived on the other side of this river. We had to walk about a mile uh, through the bush there to get out to this dugout canoe. It's actually the kind the Indians used in America years ago where they hollow out a log it was very old, and the, you can see the back of it was rotting away. Uh, the young man in front of me, I'm there in the red shirt in the middle. The young guy in the front is bailing the whole time we're going because water's running in the whole time we're crossing the river. Uh, but they took us across the river to their home, and we had dinner there with them with pigs and uh, naked children running around. And uh, that is as far as I've gotten from our culture there. And there's all varieties in between. So you'll see many different things in the slides today. That was the meal we had there that day that was caught out of that river. Uh, that was a struggle to eat. The only, the only salvation at all you have in eating in a lot of these places is the food is usually fried. And I figure the temperature's high enough when you're frying something that most things are dead. And... Uh, but that's plantains and fish, and that's, that's what we had for dinner. They don't have a lot, but they will share with you whatever they have. Wonderful people. Some of, Columbia ranks as one of the happiest countries in the world. I don't know why. Uh, it's certainly not because of any of the blessings we have. Uh, they have a, a high level of poverty. We travel sometimes to the end of the road. On that particular trip where we crossed on that ferry, we came to the end of the road, and then we walked a couple miles this way until we came to a farm where, until just recently, the church has met under some palm trees out there, and they were really proud that, the, that when we were there, they had a galvanized tin roof up to sit under, and so they were sheltered when the, the rain would come. And so It's a beautiful place, beautiful people. We also have traveled last year uh, we went to the southern tip of Colombia. Uh, Colombia is about a thousand miles from north to south. So we went clear to the very southern tip on the Amazon River. We got in these boats, which on the interior are very similar to an American school bus. 
And we went 500 miles upriver into Peru uh, to the town of Racana. Uh, believe it or not, you have brothers and sisters all the way down there. On the way, we stopped in Iquitos, a town of half a million people that doesn't have any roads to it. Hard to imagine that, isn't it? Half a million people and no way to get there except by the river. But we traveled for two solid days in that boat and arrived at this town of Racana where this is the brothers, are the brothers and sisters that worship there. Uh, that's a little shack along the river, has a dirt floor, but somehow they managed to have a fine pulpit, didn't they? Well, dissimilar from this one. So it's some of the impressive some of the things you see when you're there. There's a map of Colombia just to orient you a little bit. The green arrow up at the top uh, is in the area of Con uh, Cartagena and areas south of there. We worked in some towns just south of there. You can fly into Cartagena, but we didn't this time. We flew into Bogota, that's where the red circle is in the middle of the map. If you're familiar with Denver being a mile high, uh, Bogota is a mile and a half high. So it does get a little bit chilly there, but you're very near the equator. Normal day there is 95 degrees, and it's a good thing because showers are all cold, and usually you don't get a shower head. You also don't get a toilet seat normally. Um, even in the hotels, it's just different. Um, the red area down at the bottom, the red arrow points to Makoa. That's the place we're going to talk about first. Makoa, you may have seen on the news uh, a couple of years ago, had terrible mudslides. Uh, there were 10 neighborhoods completely destroyed. I'll show you a picture in a minute of that. Uh, government estimates being a uh, socialist government, they minimize any catastrophes. They say two to 300 people. The townspeople claim there's about 2,000 people missing. So it was a real disaster. It did make the news up here. Anyway, we went to Makoa because a preacher friend of ours we had met from Leticia, that's the purple arrow down there at the south end, uh, right on the river. Him and his brother-in-law preached in Leticia, and the church got started in Makoa and they needed a preacher, so they split up, and Armando moved to Makoa. He invited us to come and visit him this, this time. We normally go out and push for where the gospel is expanding, but this trip, Mac and I decided we would pull back a little from that, and we would go to the churches we knew and try to encourage them. And so that's what the purpose of this trip was. Armando is in Makoa because... Two people down there, uh, the, the husband of the couple, um, came right out of the tribes. This is on the edge of the rainforest. Uh, as a matter of fact, they have a handicapped son. They went to the shaman to try to get him healed. They prayed to the trees. They prayed to the cliffs. They prayed to the waterfalls. Didn't do any good, of course, as you can imagine. And so then they started going to uh, charismatic-type churches around town. And, of course, they were told they could heal their son. And that never happened. But in the process of that, he was going to church there and studying his Bible, and he came to the realization that he needed to be baptized. In spite of the fact that they don't teach that there, he figured that out. And so he went to them one Sunday, and he said, I need to be baptized. And they said, okay, we'll put you on the list, and the next time we have a baptismal service, we'll baptize you. So he left immediately. He knew that wasn't right. It's amazing that somebody so new could figure that out. But he did figure it out, and he went on his way, and someone introduced them to a Church of Christ preacher who was a few hundred miles away, but he traveled down there to teach them. They were both baptized, and for over a year, that man led worship service in his living room with only him and his family. 
They taught him a few things about communion and reading the Bible and trying to figure out what it says, and that's what they did for over a year by themselves until Armando decided to go there and preach. So he went to there to preach. This runway for this airport where we landed is right on the edge of the jungle. There's no tower. Uh, you, if it was your driveway, you probably would have it repaved. It's really rough. You go down to the end of it, you turn around, you come back to the little shack that serves as a terminal. You're the only plane there, so it doesn't matter. You don't have to worry about anybody else. That's where the preacher lives. That's his home there. And they're cooking around a fire there outside that house. That's a pretty common method of cooking there. Most people don't have any methods of cooking. The family, or the couple on the left, is the couple that I just introduced you to that was recently converted. And so now there are two couples there when we are there, in addition to guests that they routinely have at services. That's Brother Carl McMurray there in the green shirt preaching, and Santiago, the translator that traveled with us. I'll tell you more about him later, uh, translating for him. The church meets in the home of the new couple that was just converted. So they're really dedicated to this work right off the bat. And there was, uh, after our Saturday evening Bible study, uh, that was the group that was there. Um, you can see their children, the preacher's children, uh, and me standing over on the end. They also have a few miles away near the airport at a town called Villa Garzon. They have na uh, family there. And the family has started a Bible study in their home that meets once a week. I just recently heard that one couple from that Bible study was baptized and has now joined them on Sundays in their worship. Typically down there they meet once on Sundays and two other evenings during the week. So that's kind of the standard down there. I don't know how it got going that way, but that's what's going on. This is the area of the mudslide. Uh, the picture on your left was just full of houses before the mudslide. You can see no evidence of houses there now. It's just completely wiped out by the collapse of that mountain. Um, just a parting picture there. <clears throat> so the next area that we worked is up at the north where the green arrow is. You're now just south of Cartagena. A couple of years ago, we met... Mm, I always lock up on one name. Anyway, we met the preacher there, and it'll come to me in just a minute. Artenio. Artenio is a man in his late 70s, He's approaching 80 years old. He preaches at several congregations around Sahagun. Has a congregation there where he preaches regularly on Sunday mornings of 40 to 45, maybe sometimes 50 people. And, but he travels to these little churches out on the farms and little towns around. So he's an impressive man. He was a Pentecostal preacher, and he got to listening on the radio to a Church of Christ radio program put on by some of our institutional brethren down in Florida, and he realized he wasn't teaching the truth on how to be saved. And he brought himself and his congregation out of that false teaching. They've nearly all been baptized now, and so there is this solid little Church of Christ there meeting. Um, he had preachers visiting from the institutional brethren then, and uh, Brother Calvin Slabach happened through there and offered to speak for them. Of course, they invited him to because that's what they do down there. And he spoke for him, and it came down to within a year or two, there was a challenge presented to them by the institutional brethren. Either stop those conservative brothers from speaking here, or we stop supporting you. And he said, then stop supporting me. <laughs> Just an amazing elderly man. He's very impressive. So now what he's done is he started in the last two years having a preacher 
gathering for a week, at least a half a week, and we've been invited to speak each year at that, where most of the preachers are from what you would consider to be our institutional brethren, although these little churches down there, you'd be hard-pressed to figure out the difference if you didn't know who they were associated with in America. But these men show up to study the Bible and they want to learn, and so far they've not kicked us out for teaching the same thing you would teach. So it's been impressive. I did have a moment of silence this time. After each lesson, they come up and they shake your hand and they thank you over and over. And I talked about the proper use of the treasury this year. And I had a lot of silence when it was over and everybody turned around and walked out. But by the next morning, they were back talking to me and ready to study about it again. So, very impressive Bible students. Anyway, that goes on. There were about 15 preachers there from different congregations uh, this year. And then in the evening, we would have a worship service with the whole congregation. That's Brother Artenio on your right. Uh, that's actually a thatch roof building that they worshiped in. So, it was good to be there. Just a family that showed up for worship service one evening. Not unusual to see four or five people on a motorcycle. A large motorcycle there is a 150. Uh, mine's an 1800 compare, so if you're not familiar with motorcycles. They're little bitty motorcycles, but they, they can afford those, and so that's what they drive around on. That's in uh, Artenio's backyard, uh, where he feeds all the people that show up for that uh, preacher study at a table there in his backyard, which serves as his kitchen, and that's where they cook. Uh, they actually have their fire up on a table which is thoroughly modern and very handy compared to having it down on the ground. That's another shot of the inside of their new building. And this preacher on the right, his name is Fernando. Fernando preaches in Monteria, and that's just an hour or two away from there. He invited us to come after this was over and speak at his congregation, which I'm pretty sure is quite different from our congregation, but uh, we had worshipped already in Sahagun that morning, and so we were able to make it to Monteria and speak to his congregation, and we're hoping to go back there and speak some more and, and teach those brethren. What's happened in the past is that the institutional church has gone down there and started a lot of churches, and they've kind of abandoned them. And so there's this vacuum where these people are hungry for teaching, and there's a real opportunity for conservative preachers to step in and fill that void and they learn things then that they never would have learned otherwise. So we traveled. This was our Sunday afternoon travels. We preached in three congregations and then had a Bible study in a backyard. We were pretty worn out when that day was over. We covered about 200 miles that day. Monteria was where we went first. That's the fellow that invited us. You go up those red and blue steps there that you see. It's behind a store right downtown, believe it or not. It doesn't look like it is. And that's their church building. You have to climb over the rocks to get up to it. It's an interesting place. There was just to your left off of that picture, there was a group of men sitting around a table. It appeared to be gambling and drinking. Uh, during my lesson there, there were a lot of fireworks that went off. At first I thought it was gunfire and I got really nervous for a little bit. When I figured out it was fireworks, I settled down, and uh, we just had a really nice worship service. In that tiny little building, probably would be a lawnmower shed on one of your properties, but that's where they worship, and they even have a projector there. So that's the congregation <laughs> after the service was over. We went from there to Rabo Largo. I really want to tell you about Rabo Largo. Two years ago, we went there. They said, on the way there, we're going to meet in somebody's home. There have been five people converted here. Two of them passed away. One of them quit coming, so there'll probably just be two people there. 
So I'm, that's what I'm prepared for. So we go to this little tiny house, and there are 25 people show up for worship service, and I can't even get in the house. I had to stand out in the alley and listen through a window as Brother Calvin spoke that lesson. Later that day, we were invited to speak in somebody's backyard, and over 100 people showed up. It was dark. We couldn't get a good count. We counted all of them we could see in the light, and there were a lot of people standing out in the trees, moving about, listening, uh, but didn't want their faces seen, I guess. When that was over, there was a lady there from the uh, Pentecostal church came to us and said, Would you speak at our congregation tomorrow? Sure. So we went there, and Calvin spoke, and he taught them the plan of salvation, like you would if you had the opportunity to teach anybody. And there's a lot of applause in worship services down there. Not so much in the Church of Christ, uh, but in the other churches there's a lot of that. Maybe there is here too. I'm not really that familiar with it. Anyway, as he would speak and, t and teach a truth, they would all applaud. And the leaders of the church were standing along the left-hand side, and they're all applauding. Point after point, just exactly the sermon you would hear from this pulpit. Until they got to baptism, and they didn't applaud. It got real quiet. But it went okay, and later in the lesson, they started applauding again. And, and when it was over, we said, Now, we have two ladies with us that we taught earlier in the day that want to be baptized. And we're going down to the river to baptize them, and you all are welcome to join us. So we went down to the river. And Brother Angel Gabriel, that was Angel Gabriel is his name. Isn't that interesting? Uh, he's a great guy to travel with. We call him the Godfather of Columbia. He can get anything done. And right now... So anyway, he's standing on the bank of that river, and he always preaches a lesson to them before they get in the water. He's going to get that last shot in. He's preaching extra loud that day. He's shouting in their faces, and we wondered why. We looked around, and there's a bunch of people standing on the other bank of the river watching. We said, you were preaching to them, weren't you? He said, they were here. <laughs> anyway, we get ready to do the baptism, and one of the ladies from the Pentecostal congregation comes down and gets in line and says, I want to be baptized too. So we baptized her in a drainage ditch from the farms that you wouldn't have wanted to get in. I didn't want to, but I did. There are now seven members that have left the Pentecostal church and been baptized into our Lord and Savior and worship with the church at Rabo Largo, which meets under this little shelter that you're looking at. That's at the side of somebody's home. We had our worship service there. Some of the children. I can't resist the children when it's... Brother Max spoke, and another translator, Brother Umberto, uh, translated for us. Um, normally the speaking is done there by Albert. Albert Montalvo lives two hours away from this little village. On bad roads, he travels two hours each way to speak at this congregation every Sunday, and then has Bible studies with people from the Pentecostal church that are ongoing, and he does that at his own expense. He's not a preacher. He's an electrician. Same as me. I'm not a preacher either. I'm an electrician, by the way. I just got roped into this. His work isn't steady. He often needs help. Uh, he was telling me when we were down there this time that he'll go around to friends and borrow a few dollars here and a few, dollar, a few pesos, I should say until he gets enough for a couple tanks of gas to make that trip. And he travels out there and preaches every Sunday. Hard-working man. He deserves your prayers. Um, 
One of the nice things about working with people in Colombia is if you share $50 with them, that makes a huge difference in their life. It's not like somebody up here where if you're going to help a preacher, you need a thousand bucks to even get started. Um, not so down there. And I, I haven't. Um, I'm just, I'm not asking for help. I'm just telling you 50 bucks a month would make a big difference in his life. That was the congregation there at Rabo Largo. We thought we were done for the day, and we're standing around chatting with these brothers and drinking a, a drink made of ground-up corn, which I wouldn't recommend. And uh, they said, come on, we have to go. I said, where are we going now? I said, well, some of the ladies from the Pentecostal church got a hold of us, and they want to study. So we went to an... Um, Brother Escobar's home, they were the first ones baptized in Rabo Largo, and we met with this group of people and had a Bible study in the backyard. Three ladies on the right of your screen are the three ladies from the Pentecostal Church, and they are serious Bible students. We were talking with them about baptism being necessary for salvation, because that seems to be the point that wakes them up. They don't hear that in their churches. And... She would, the lady on the far right was the kind of the spokesperson for the three. She would speak out against this. She would argue with us. And so we would turn to a scripture and have her read it. And as she was reading it, you could see the light come on in her eyes. By the time that was over, I think she was convinced she needed to be baptized. But she wasn't that day. Uh, continue to pray for, her, pray for her. There have been four people in the adjoining town from the Pentecostal church uh, baptized since we left there. So... Things are happening in that area. We left that area then and went to Santa Rosa. Santa Rosa is the yellow arrow in the middle of your screen. Um, the reason for going there, the father of our translator preaches in Santa Rosa. He also travels to seven or eight congregations within a range of two-hour drive around Santa Rosa, different days of the week, and teaches in those towns and works with them. A couple of years ago, he was in a bad automobile accident and totaled his car. Of course, didn't have the cash to replace it. And so the church in Anderson was able to buy him a new car. There's some of the towns that we went to, and we went to check up on him, really, and to see what was being done there to make sure our dollars were being spent properly, or the Lord's dollars, I should say. Each of those arrows represents a town that we visited there and taught, and a couple more that are off the screen. Um, that's Brother Carlos Ano. He's, he's in the middle, and that's his family. He is the preacher there in Santa Rosa. Been there about 15 years preaching. Moved from another town where he preached before. They took us out for an evening to see those waterfalls and things when we first got there. We're busy all the time when we're there. We're there for 19 days this year, over three weekends. Uh, of course, we lost three or four days just purely to travel. Uh, we spoke 33 times and had, I don't know how many Bible studies and question and answer sessions. Everywhere you go, they pull out their Bible and they have a list of questions from where they've been studying and they're waiting for somebody to show up that knows the Bible better than them to answer their questions. I've been asked, what questions do they ask? What, what do they want to talk about? The exact same questions that you get when you're teaching an adult Bible class here in, in this church. They struggle with an elder being a husband of one wife and how many kids does he have to have and do they all have to be Christians. All the same things that we discuss, they're working on those same things as they're growing up in Christianity. That's his home, um, the main room of it looking both ways. 
You can see he doesn't live a, an extravagant lifestyle. This is Brother Robinson, who also works with him. An interesting thing about their poverty level down there, of course they need support in order to do the work they do. And you know how some countries have just run away with asking for support from the United States. It seems like that's all they do. Not so down there. We get very few requests for help. Brother Inau is one of the reasons for that. He speaks out against accepting help from foreigners because he keeps preaching to them, what will you do if the Americans can't afford to help you anymore? Will the church go away or will you continue to serve the Lord? And as a result, the congregation in Santa Rosa, which has about 45 people, has grown to the point financially where they are supporting this man as well out of their pocket. That's a really impressive thing in a country like that, that, where poverty is so low. That's the car that we purchased for him, and that's sitting out in front of his home. And this is just an overview of Santa Rosa. Some of the uh, surrounding countryside, uh, you can see the kind of shacks that people live in in some places. There are fine homes also, but not so many. One of the first towns we went to was uh, Villa Maria which is just outside Manizales. Maybe you've heard of Manizales if you've talked to people that have been to Colombia. That's a big city up in the mountains. And this man is a powerhouse preacher down there too. He, he travels around, is well-known, would be like one of the well-known speakers here. He's a respected individual and does a lot of good work. He preaches there in Villa Maria in a bad neighborhood. That's where their little congregation meets. He has four or five men that help with the teaching and speak when he's gone because he does travel to other churches. They also had a projector this time. I'm starting to see that a lot down there. Uh, but they can't leave it in their building because it would disappear if they did. So they take it down every week and take it home. Um, next day we went to Neira. Neira is up in the mountains. That's a game preserve out there in the distance where howler monkeys live. And people don't go in there much. I guess the howler monkeys are pretty vicious according to the people. These houses are built up on bamboo stilts. Um, a lot of the walls are made out of slats of bamboo and covered with mud. But they make the best of it, and they always have a decent, clean home for you to go in. It's nice to visit. That's the preacher there um, and his family. We went out that night and had a pizza there in a shop. A lot of times we'll take them out to dinner because they don't do that much, and it gives us a chance to get away from their home and be able to sit and talk. That was the church building there in Nera, where Brother Mac spoke that evening. We had a, a small group there, but they're getting a church started and things are, things are happening. This area that we're working in now is where they grow coffee. Colombian coffee comes from this area. The mountainsides are just completely covered with it. It's beautiful. Uh, a lot of the mountainsides are so steep that the workers will actually tie a rope around themselves and lower themselves down to work on plants and then lower themselves down another row and swing back and forth. And, and that's how they pick the beans and prune the plants. And on the top of those ridges, you'll see big fancy homes, and down at the bottom you see homes like these. These are the guys that pick the beans. The guy at the top owns the land and sells the coffee. It was pretty to see anyway. We visited Watica. Watica had a church started. Uh, something happened. I didn't get the story, but it went away. There are half a dozen Christians there, though, and they're looking to reestablish a congregation. So Brother Inal travels there each week and teaches them and is helping them uh, keep their strength up while they're waiting.
for somebody to come and work with them and help them get a congregation going again. We visited a fruit and vegetable market there. Uh, also went, they wanted to show us where their, uh, I can't think what it's called. What do you call it where you have a bunch of plants? Not a nursery. <laughs> a place where you show them off. Anyway, they wanted to show us this. It's a park in their area and, and these were blue jeans full of dirt with plants growing out the top. I asked them what that was, and the only thing they would tell me is they were evangelists from the United States. That's, uh, that's all the answer I got, too. They laughed and didn't tell me anymore. So we went out these bridges and actually had a little Bible study and sang some hymns out there uh, as we were parting out on that shelter out in the middle of that lake. That's our translator on the right in the blue shirt. His grandmother in between, 87-year-old woman. Um, we probably walked a mile out into that park to get to that lake. She made it out there, and he carried her out so she could be out there with him. It was impressive. Um, I told him he, he could have gone from hero to villain real quick if he'd have tripped on one of those hills, though, because <laughs> he was carrying her. We stopped then at Dos Cabradas. Oh, I'm out of town. We have got to hurry. Um, Dos Cabradas is thinking about starting a church. There are several Christians that live in that town, and so we met in their home and encouraged them. Went back to Santa Rosa, where Brother Anau is from. That's the front of the church building. You go down an aisle. They actually have a class there. They have about 45 members and a class for children with about 15 kids in it each week. Um, I didn't get to speak at that church. Did teach a Bible class for children in this house. They have a weekly Bible study in that home. The little girl in the striped dress is standing next to an open sewer. Right outside their front door. And that's very common. We see that everywhere. Uh, these were the children that were in the study. Um, the adults were impressed with my lesson on Daniel, especially when I roared like a lion. Uh, the kids said they had heard it before. <laughs> The little girl there uh, wearing Wayne Galloway's hat and drinking coffee was my favorite of the whole trip. Uh, we also visited a town of Armenia where that fellow that you've met already preaches. We went to Anserma, back to Santa Rosa where we had a Bible study with these, this group of men who are considering installing elders there in that congregation. That's a new thing down there. Uh, usually a guy gets strong enough to be an elder. He leaves, starts traveling around to towns and preaching instead. So they have a real time getting preachers. That was our translator for the trip. I just introduced you to him so that you can pray for him and his girlfriend. Santiago is an excellent young man. He, he's a preacher in his own right, but he works uh, a regular secular job. He's a very successful and intelligent young single man. And at the last service we were at, this truck was sitting outside. And that saying on the window says that faith doesn't make things easy, easy it makes things possible. Uh, I thought that was a fitting way to end that trip. It wasn't easy for us. It was a difficult trip. It's especially not easy for them. But it's also not easy for you. It's not easy for you to know that God can do anything in your life. I didn't intend to be a preacher, and I didn't intend to be a missionary, and I didn't intend to be an elder in the church. But just trying to do what was right, that's where I ended up. And I would ask you to lift your eyes a little higher and look at things that you could do with your lives that you didn't know you could do.
Try to do something a little more than you can, and you'll be amazed at the ability that the Lord will give you and the doors that he will open for you. Thank you so much for your attention.